everyone. I'm Dr. Rachel Lupian. And I'm Dr. Stephanie Sparrow. Our climate is in crisis, and we all want to help, but we might not know how. We're talking to people who have figured out how to use their talents to combat climate change in the hopes that their journey might inspire your own. This is How We Got Here, because the Earth needs professional help. Rachel, how are you? I'm good, except my bike was stolen. Welcome to Denmark. Oh, man. But in sort of, I mean, that's shitty. It was locked. It sounds like people just go trolling for good bikes. They just pick them right up and take them in a van. Anyway, that, I mean, other shitty. good things are happening. It's almost the holidays. We are talking to a fantastic person today. What is new with you? What is new with me? Uh, good, bad, good, bad. bad. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> we like moved away. Well, let's see. We recorded this yeah, podcast episode over. the day before Thanksgiving. Then Christmas. Are you on the floor right now? I am on the floor. Yeah, I'm You're on the sitting floor. Sitting on the floor. Okay. <laughs> in, okay. in a, in a okay. giant playroom. Not a closet, but sort of almost. Uh, not a closet, but it, I mean, it's essentially a closet, right? It's like a third floor attic <laughs> that someone put a carpet in. You know. You are uh, sitting next to a chair for for the listeners. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Oh, sorry. Sorry. I'm giving you yes, a chair a and a desk. But I, but okay. You chose I mean, floor. Okay, that's good. Let me just, if you, I'm <laughs> very, I like, if you have a second kid, you start showing so much earlier. I'm not going to talk about my boobs a lot, but I usually oh, have like very. Let's hear it. This is a boob reason. Well, my back feels because I, oh, I love my small oh. boobs pre-baby. I have like a nice B cup yeah. happy with it. And then when it's uh, mm. when pregnant, it's like, do you want 38 Ds? And my back is like, you don't. <laughs> so my back just hurts. So I've been lying like... on the floor and then popping. Okay. I am so sorry I brought this up. Uh, Should have just left the chair alone. Uh, no, it's fine. I literally sorry, it sucks. but it sucks also so you're welcome, much. everyone, because boob talk is great talk. Boob talk is great talk. <laughs> you gotta, I've had to like go dig out all my props. <laughs> I guess it's a bad Mm, a good work-wise a good <laughs> i sent a paper oh, to yeah. some okay. co-authors yeah i sent a paper to some co-authors Yay. yeah what else did i do oh i wrote a final report for my grant that i'm so happy is done oh um final report i am working on an annual report my first awful. ever awful it's like much more detailed than i expected yes. and you're like why are you making me waste the mm-hmm. time i mean i know why they are but it's such a time suck and you're like i could be doing other things than yeah. not well i mean you could be spe- yeah you should have requested another week in the grant for salary oh to be writing this annual that report that is such a good move <laughs> can i <laughs> oh that would be fun just round yes. up Oof. yes that would be funny in a budget I mean, justification but it sucks and i <laughs> now want to do it all the time it's a lot of time Maybe not a week. Chris is always shocked at how he's like, you just spend so much of your time telling other people, having to tell other people what you did in documents. And I'm like, academia. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just want to shout out to my parents mm-hmm. who've had my son. I mean, they've had us. But this house is a zoo because Theo's here, who is relentless. Our dog's here. Kenneth's here. And my sister flew to Germany oh, man. three days after inheriting an 80-pound, 18-month-old yeah. Bernese Mountain Dog puppy. No. So we have no. a puppy today. Sister. Sam, 
I better get something good from Germany for taking your dog for a walk every day and ruining everything you've tried to train her with. Well, how would she try to train her? She hired a purse. She found a person. And they were like, I guess they've had him like a week and a half. Fine. They plan. Okay. That's basically three days. I'm with you there. Ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. I don't know what I'm well, saying. Oh, it's the... <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> you can do your good, bad. My good, bad was like, okay. I don't know, work stuff, and my parents have been helpful. <laughs> oh, well, bad. Technical difficulties? I mean, that's not so bad. bad. No, it's been fine. I have had a good week. I, construction on our new lab has begun. Like, literally? Are there, like, people in there with hard skills that are building stuff? There's people in there with um, usable skills, which we don't know much about, but... No, never, but... They're putting up this fancy glass wall with like a door that is um, like motion activated. Ooh. Yeah, it's gonna look like a science lab. I love it. I love it. Yeah. So doing that and then doing boring stuff like ventilation and humid things, but it's very exciting. We're getting an instrument delivered in January, hopefully. And so, yeah. That is amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, we are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. And we're back. From we're back uh, the again. second set of technical difficulties, the good thing... No, wait, that was the good thing. The lab construction. Bad thing. I was yeah. all alone this week at work. Why? My whole research group. So it's me, two other professors, some postdocs, blah, 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 PhDs, you know, the gang. That A lot of people. Are, they're delightful. I get along with quite well. We have a good time. All of our yeah. offices are in a row. It's very fun. Everyone, except for me, was at a conference in Italy. <laughs> Were you not invited? Well, it was on... It I'm actually is... It's like... No, I'm that's sure true. Well, I wasn't invited, but because I don't do that kind of research. But it, it sort of made it very obvious that I am the odd person out in my group in terms of research direction. And so it was a little sad. It was a little like... I'm sorry. Sad. Are you it's sad like, you're not going to AGU? For the listener, AGU is this giant conference filled with geologists or scientists, environmental scientists. It's in Chicago this year, which was dumb. Chicago December is dumb. That's like a big reason I didn't go. But turns out it is warmer in Chicago right now than (gasps) freaking Aarhus, Denmark. So it's really cold right now. It's also pretty problematic for Chicago, probably. Climate helpless. (laughs) Um, Do you want to talk about our amazing guests that we have? Yeah. who Who are we talking to, Steph? Okay, we're talking to (laughs) Aja Barber. Aja is a writer, stylist, consultant, and sustainability activist whose work deals with the intersection of sustainability, fashion, colonialism, the textile industry, feminism, and all the ways the not great systems that we live under affect our buying habits. She's a contributing editor at Elle UK. She has a fantastic Instagram that everyone should follow. She has a pretty spicy Twitter account, spicy is her words, and she wrote this fantastic book called Consumed, 
the need for collective change, colonialism, climate change, and consumerism, which is available everywhere, and everyone should probably read it, but don't support Jeff Bezos and go to your local bookshop. Um, Aja was so wonderful to take the time to chat with us literally the day before Thanksgiving. And even though this episode is a little longer than usual, we just thought everything she said was so interesting and important, particularly given it's the holiday season when we're all in the midst of holiday shopping, we couldn't cut that much out. So welcome, Aja. Hi, Aja. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that this conversation is happening. It's happening. Yes. We're so excited. (laughs) Yay. So, Aja, tell us, what do you do? (laughs) Um, I am a writer. I am the author of a book called Consumed. I am an internet person, though I don't really claim that because people always want to take it to like influencer and I'm like no I'm not an influencer because if I were I'd be rich Um, (laughs) there's a difference but with what I do I am not an influencer (laughs) often I have to explain to a corporation why they are horrible and then they don't want to give me money to do it I you know I don't want to be anti anything because I do think that like you know people with platforms can be used to like spread positive messages right But we do know that a lot of people with platforms are not doing that. I mean, as, and, as people with podcasts and our huge, huge <laughs> platform, yes. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, oh, and I just, I, I, yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, but I, I do think um, without influencers selling fast fashion, maybe we wouldn't be having today's oh. conversation. Oh, my God. Every time, Aja, I mean, you don't know me at all, but I think <laughs> I follow you on the platform. We know you quite well. <laughs> and I read your book. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I love, I mean, I feel like I, I know say, my readership. I'm like, yeah, girl. <laughs> great, great. Yeah, that's me. I'm your readership. Um, every time I see someone do, I forget what they're, I'm like very bad at fa- one of those, um, like an, un- not an unboxing, but where they have like a thousand outfits. Haul video, got- a haul video. Haul video. Thank haul you. Video. You are an influencer. I am very, obviously not. She's I think of you Jesus. because I'm like, this is just fast fashion, like bullshit right here. Yeah. This is all just like. Like, look at these hundred things I just bought at H&M. Let's play a game. Why does anyone need that much clothing at once? Why is that normalized? Why do we treat clothing shopping like a trip to the grocery store? You know, like, there's so many questions. Yeah. yeah, there's so many questions surrounding, like, this conversation. So I guess when I talk about having a platform, I'm like, yeah, I'm a content creator, but not in that way. <laughs> like, if I wanted to sell my soul, I would be very wealthy. Yeah. When I said anti, I didn't oh. mean anti other influencers, but you are the anti, you are the anti-influencer. Yeah, I mean, some influencers I am anti Oh, okay. Sure. But, <laughs> to be clear. But I try to keep it positive. Yeah. You know, you can bring more people in with honey than vinegar. But um, yeah, so I'm on social media. I've written a book called Consume. And what I mostly do with my platform is I educate the general public about what they should know about sustainability and how to not get caught by those tricky retailers mm-hmm. that are greenwashing you, you know, to ask the questions before you make the purchase. Why am I making this purchase? Does it actually help anyone? Is it harming people? Do I need it? Because if the answer is, is it harming people? Yes. And do I need it? No. Then maybe we shouldn't clear. buy yeah. it. <laughs> Yeah, it's clear, but people will turn it into like a sacred geometry to defend consumerism. Oh. 
Yeah. The mental gymnastics you can do about anything, right? Because you're like, I love that shirt. It's on but sale. I love it. Will it help? <laughs> I've had this event coming Somebody's up. already created it, so it's going to become waste anyways. Oh, I have heard I've that heard it all. For... I've heard it all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I can sure, imagine yeah. you have. And I've said, I've said it to myself in the past. Too, oh, yeah. So, like, well, I'm not, yeah. And that's why we're so excited to talk to you, too, because you can get at this in your book a little bit. You were not always this person. No, I, mean, you were always I wasn't. You, but... I was always a curious person, right? But, like, I wasn't always willing to question the system and the ways in which I am now. So, like, you know, when fast fashion first came on my radar, it was actually in the late 90s. And, of course, I was excited. Like, as someone who grew up lower middle class, you know, any disposable, you know, not even disposable, but any, like, spending money I had was earned by me, basically. My parents were not, like, opening up their wallet and going, here's money for your clothes. I was doing the majority of that buying myself. So I kind of never really fit in as a young person because a lot of my clothing was thrifted by my mom or it was my older sister's hand-me-downs. And I was born in the 80s. My older sister was born in the 70s. And let me tell you, with a five-year age difference, like the stuff that she was handing down to me in the 90s was not cool. Yeah, like a cycled back yet. A sweater from 1987 and 1992 looked like it screamed 1987. So, you know, I was I was getting ragged on for my clothing. And I think that is definitely a part of, you know, what made me like the perfect consumer for fast fashion. Because the first like part-time job that I started doing when I was like 10 I was like basically taking care of everyone's pets in the neighborhood was so that I could buy the clothing because maybe if I had a sweatshirt from limited those girls would let me sit at their lunch table and really they never would because they were mean I remember the limited the limited two do you remember the gap sweatshirts the big gap sweatshirts Uh I went to a Catholic. I'm from Massachusetts. I went to a Catholic all-girls high school, as one does. But I remember <laughs> the only reason there's a, we had a theology teacher. My Catholic school was very progressive. All of the mm-hmm. theology teachers were lesbians. It was all about mm-hmm. social justice. It could have, wow. but GAP, God always present, has oh. been ingrained in my brain. <laughs> all right, bringing new Which meaning. I don't think Gap was going for, no? but Miss Baker <laughs> sure drilled in the brain. Shout out, Miss Baker. Um, there were so many markers, I think, when we were growing up, and there still probably are just in different ways, that were like material items that would definitely, you know, be the type of thing that you wanted to buy to fit in. And like everybody likes to fit in. And so I think those sorts of attitudes really, I, I sometimes on my platform, I tell people to like dig into like the place where you're at, where you started to really, really want to buy clothing to like change how people treat it you and let's unpick that let's unpick these attitudes because I think that stuff is way more like deep-seated than we like to think it is I mean you just talking about that in middle school and high school I just I this right I was not Irish Catholic at an Irish Catholic high school Mm -hmm. and I right I did want that black north face jacket which I didn't have I did want those stupid Ugg boots that I didn't have like those I'm like a little younger than you so those were those were my markers right by the the way girl get those Ugg Ugg boots boots. secondhand get them secondhand I mean Ugg is one of those companies and they're one of those companies that overproduces and makes the same product every year so like Poshmark eBay Mm. tons of them Mm. some of them like worn once and like 
I'm not always keen on like secondhand shoes because some mm. things are like, Neh. but the Ugg boots, if you really want them now, you can get them for like under $20. You should get them. I wish 14 year old me like knew that, right? Yeah. Like, well, right. So this is like a part of my platform because I am now the person who advocates for basically shopping the way I've always quietly shopped mm. when I wasn't over consuming fast fashion. So like, as someone who wanted the stuff but didn't have the money for the stuff, I started shopping for clothing on eBay in the year of 2000. Wow. Which, is that when eBay was invented? She said not meanly. I think it started <laughs> when I was like in high school. So like okay, yeah, probably yeah. late 90s. So it was probably yeah, like yeah, yeah. a few That's early years days in, eBay. basically. Early days. Early days. Yeah. <laughs> so in the year 2000, I was in university showing my age here. And um, that was a time period where everybody was into the designer denim. And every season, it would be a different brand that everyone was into. So, like, um, Citizens of Humanity, Seven oh, Jeans, seven. Paper Denim Cloth, True Religion. It was, like, this thing where every year it would be, like, these are the jeans to have. Now, could I afford $200, dollars mm. oh jeans? God. Absolutely not. But one day I was just messing around on eBay, and I typed in paper denim cloth jeans and somebody was selling a pair for $50. Now that I could afford. And like that, steal. Here we go. And that was also how I began to really understand that a lot of brands overproduce. Hmm. If a brand has so much product out there that multiple people are selling the thing that you want and your size on a secondhand site, what that tells you is that there's a lot of stuff being produced. And to this day, there are certain things that I will not buy new because I can get it like new on eBay. And that just speaks to overproduction. Levi's, I am plus size. If you are plus size and you like Levi's, just jump on eBay and type your size in. I got a pair for 20 pounds last week. I also am plus size and I also have found just through your following Twitter and Instagram, all these new places that I like didn't know I could shop just yeah. based on like sell trade plus and like all these other things. And I was like, and that's just because you've taught me these things. Oh, that's well, so lovely. I love that. Because honestly, I just, <laughs> I just want people to realize that like you don't have to give those brands your money. Like sometimes right. you're like, ah, uh, crap, I need a pair of underpants and that is my only choice, right? Like we're all in that pinch. But to make certain brands that we know are mistreating people your immediate go-to, we don't have to do that. And that's what I want people to really take away is that in the grand scheme of climate crisis, this is a problem, but this is a problem that a lot of us can opt out of. So Aja, on a day-to-day -day basis, while you are content creating and calling out Influence. places like no, Shein, <laughs> not Shine, Shein, and like Boohoo, that's another one, right? Which is also even Yeah, Boohoo, Pretty Little Thing. <laughs> Shein, Fashion Nova. These are the ultra fast fashions, right? So you've got your ultra will fast you, fashions. Yeah, will you explain have, what those yes. are? Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> basically, <laughs> in the time period that I have become an adult, things have sped up gradually. And part of the reason why I think younger generations can't see how much of a problem this is, is because if you were born in like the 90s or the year 2000, you do not remember how we used to shop. You don't remember when the department store was king yeah. and they got clothing in four times a year. Mm -hmm. And that was like right. your selection. The seasons, right? Spring, fall, winter, the summer. Seasons. Yeah, and then maybe like 
there would be like stores that sort of were geared towards younger people, but even they did not get stuff in like the stores yeah, today. Right. So fast fashion, I would count as fast fashion, like your H&M, your Zara, your ASOS, but then you also have the ultra fast fashion brands where they are churning out things overnight. Like you've got your pretty little thing, your Shein, your Boohoo, your Fashion Nova. And like at the end of the day, it's all just like exploitation wear. Your urban, so fast fashion, urban outfitters, anthropology free people, by the way, all owned by the same guy who used to give money to Republicans. Oh, <laughs> I remember urban outfitters getting, I, I didn't shop there at all because they would have these horrible, they had like a Columbine shirt at one point. They had like yeah. Uh, anyway, sorry, that's a different issue. Some but of their like, design stuff. Who's I'm just making like these decisions. You know what it is. The person I I think sometimes I have a theory because a corporation it's like, like Urban just Outfitters to get in the news. Like, I'm I think they don't treat their employees very well. Oh. Like I actually know for a fact that they don't treat their employees really well. Sure. So when something like that gets passed, I'm like somebody's trying it? to like mess with this company. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yes. I wouldn't, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't put it past like internal employees to be like, oh, you know what? Should I'm going to go quit next yourself. month. Let's see what happens if I do this. You know what I mean? Let it burn. They don't treat people well. They oh don't. God, like I've heard the it. stories. I've known people that have worked not just corporate in their stores. And so some of this stuff, I'm like, there's no way that people don't know that this right. is not cool. I just think maybe this <laughs> is a person who's just like, <laughs> Asha, for listeners uh, for the podcast listener flip the bird <laughs> this is a person uh, who's ready to quit their job yeah yeah that's hilarious get out of here go right um oh. another thing about what i'm hearing the ultra fast fashion and in the more recent times is that cell phones right like we have smartphones and they are bringing the marketing into our hands at all hours mm-hmm. of the day and it's not leaving you alone. Like, honestly, I struggle with this. So on my on my phone, I've got an app that basically doesn't allow me to open Instagram without pausing five seconds. Oh. And it's really helpful That's because sweet. I got a problem with it. Yeah. And like, I think a lot of people do. You got the push notifications. If my phone is in the same room with me, I can't settle into a book. Like literally, it's, yeah. it's so bad that I have to put my phone upstairs in order to like separate and to get work done. Mm -hmm. And so I think that there's something to be said for like the addictive nature, but I also think that there's a certain gaming element to like the ways in which like fast fashion works and the apps work and the dopamine. And so I just feel like we're like, lab rats like pushing that button over and over and over again but we're like uh-huh. we're too smart to be brainwashed right. <laughs> <laughs> but i'm gonna buy that yeah. shirt that you just showed me cute. four times i didn't really realize it but i don't twice. need it i don't yeah. know where i'm gonna put it but i'm gonna buy it <laughs> well that was one of the things that you've talked about like the average person buys something wears it like five times and Six. then that's it Seven times in the UK. I don't know what it is in the US. Probably two. Um, Probably lower. The average person in the US a few years ago was buying 68 garments of clothing a year. I have a feeling that number has definitely spiked. And additionally, 
15 million Americans suffer from a shopping addiction. Wow. Will you briefly touch upon the market in Accra in Ghana? Yes, in because Ghana. of how that's related to. I'm sorry. I heard a cat <gasps> on the counter. Cat alert. There's a no Don't cat worry. On the, Rachel's, Rachel's no, excited. No cat on the counter rule in this household. Down. So Down. I'm like <laughs> looking at them. Oh, um, funny enough. Funny that you should mention because I am going to Paris tomorrow. <laughs> And I am meeting up with the Orr Foundation, who is in Paris with like a bunch of their team to do stuff with EU regulation. So by the oh, time this comes out, like a lot of this news will have broken because I imagine yeah. you guys aren't going to like put it out like tomorrow. Um, we absolutely are no, not. Yeah. Nope. So like, <laughs> yeah. So I haven't really shared that. I haven't shared that much about it. Um, to give you some insight into who the Aura Foundation are. They are a foundation based in Accra, Ghana, that basically, you know, brings awareness to what is happening in that part of the world with the secondhand clothing market. So for those of you that don't know, we are buying a lot of clothing. The fashion industry pumps out 100 billion garments a year. Now, to put that into perspective, the human population just hit 8 billion, which divide that into 100 a hundred, a hundred. So what that means is the fashion industry is pumping out like way more clothing than the human race can even buy. And if you really want to put it into perspective, 50% of our planet lives on $5 and 50 cents a day. So fast fashion isn't even an option for them to buy. So like you got a small percentage of the planet that's participating in a big problem. It's not 12 garments per person. No, no. Exactly. (laughs) No, no. Exactly. So... To put it into even more perspective, we're buying so much clothing and we're buying at a speed that is creating environmental chaos at both ends of this linear system. A linear system is one that is aligned, start, finish. What that means is there's no recycling going on. Produce, consume, dump. That is our current system. What we really like would be a circular system. That's a circle, (laughs) on and on and on. But right now we have a linear system. So you have 100 billion garments for a small percentage of the human population. You, me, everyone you know is buying five more, five times more clothing than we used to buy in 1990. So, yeah, yeah. And so Hmm. when you are participating in the systems of fast fashion, you are buying so much clothing that you probably can't store it all in your wardrobe, which means that you are probably doing a lot of donating, right? And when you donate... But that's you, good, Aja, feel, right? Isn't it? <laughs> you feel good. You're going to pat yourself on the back. You're like shoving those plastic bags of clothes into mm-hmm. the thing that doesn't... Oh, I just moved. Except not so fast. Because one, <laughs> a lot of the clothing we are buying is crap. So like, does it... Can it hold up well enough to the fact where a second person can, can actually, actually find it to be useful? It, yeah. And I do think that we lie to ourselves a bit about that. Like the truth of the matter is, I think we have all been guilty of putting something in a donation bag where you don't feel it's good enough for you, but you were thinking that it is fine for that person over there. That is called NIMBY, not in my backyard. Mm. So we are donating a lot of our clothing and it's going through our systems in the global north, but they can't handle it all because it's a large amount of clothing. And so it gets downgraded and downgraded and downgraded. And I volunteer in a charity shop, so I actually remember a little bit of what this system looks like, and I'll, I'll come back to that. But at the end of the day, 
you know, this charity shop can't sell it. So they pass it on to this charity shop. This charity shop passes on this one. And they sometimes change hands, go to countries. So like a country like Greece might get clothing from the UK that we no longer want. And then if Greece can't use it, then it might get packed up and sent somewhere else. But eventually, whatever doesn't get sold is going to get packed up on a pallet and it's going to be sent to specific places in the global south many of which are in Africa. So Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, but Cantamonto Market in Ghana is arguably the biggest mm-hmm. secondhand reseller in the world. And they receive 15 million items a week. <laughs> which um, is crazy. The population of Accra, the city, is only 3 million, for the record. So, So it's flooded the market there. It's made it so that local designers cannot sell their wares for... You know what right. it's valued at. Um, it's fostered a fast fashion attitude in the global south, and it's pollution. So if you look at footage of the beaches in that part of the world, you'll find these huge, like octopus-like tentacles of clothing <gasps> that's wow. been washed oh up God. from the ocean. It pollutes water systems. There was a um, new dump built in Accra, Ghana that has filled up 10 years in advance because of all the clothing waste. So essentially what we're doing is telling ourselves that we're doing a good thing while outsourcing an ecological crisis to the global south, but then also going, oh, but they're poor, so they want it, when really that's Global North is very good at that. (laughs) It's such a a crappy attitude and it just does not get challenged enough. I am um, currently five months pregnant, and I've been trying to play this, like, maternity clothes game with you in the back of my head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like Which is difficult, clothes. by the way. Yeah. Oh, so, I mean, I, I am not pregnant, but, you know, I am trying to decide if that's going to be my path. And a lot of the clothing that I do buy, I actually do have that in mind. I tend to like like an art teacher frock anyways. So like that's that, my yes. cardigan. Yeah. This is what I'm going for. <laughs> that sort of stuff is like perfect for, you know, and then it's, it's good exactly when right. you're done, you know? Yeah. Wait, Aja, can we go back to um, the market in Aqua real quick? Yeah. So I had read something. So, right. We are dump, essentially dumping everything we don't want. We, and we are creating. Yes. And we are creating an environmentally we're creating environmental justice issues for the global south by 100 claiming that we're doing such a good thing to donate clothing (laughs) and a lot of it ends up being crap and a lot of it ends up being waste but then fashion designers will go to those markets to buy like the bales of garments you never really know what you're going to get and then and i think you might have been getting at this too when they try and resell to the global north like europe then they are also taxed again right like there's this really interesting system where we're like giving them stuff we don't want they're mm-hmm. finding cool cool designers are finding really cool ways to reuse the good stuff and when they try and then like when they're trying to import it because the eu has crazy oh. tax laws they don't make as much money i think as they're supposed as they could because of the like north south you know, am i making this up i feel Sounds like right. <laughs> there is no i feel like it's legit but i don't know the ins and outs yeah. enough to okay. like co-sign okay. No, it does. It sounds legit, though. It sounds like I feel like there's like some weird import thing where when you try and resell up like through, but I don't. Okay, look at it from this perspective. How many designers from the global south are even featured on like high end websites? So like your Nets of Cortez or your um, 
far-fetched. You know what I mean? So like even for designers in parts of Africa and parts of Asia to, to be, you know, participating in the fashion stage of the West, it's incredibly challenging. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Aren't most fashion companies owned by white dudes? Isn't that? Yes. Like you, yeah. The fast fashion companies for sure. And then, you know, you've got your conglomerates as well. So like, um, you've got your umbrella brands, you've got your, this is, this is like something that always blows people's minds, but like, you know, urban outfitters, urban outfitters, anthropology, free people, um, the gap, old Navy, Banana. Athleta, oh, Banana yeah. Republic. Which Same, I website. Don't, Same website. I don't even tabs. know what they're doing anymore. I have no idea. And then you've got <laughs> over here, H&M, H&M Home, Monkey, oh, yeah. and other stories, Arquette, Weekday, all H&M. You've got your Zara, you've got Stradivarius, you've got Pull and Bear, you've got Zara Home. So these are all massive conglomerates. Yeah. And then when we get into luxury, you got your LVMHs and your Keerings, and they own like the majority of the luxury brands. Hmm. So, so it's like, how could somebody be represented when you have yeah. these like big names at play? And then you look at like the board and it's just all white dudes in suits. <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. Um, can we go back? So it sounds like when you were talking about <laughs> the first time you went onto eBay and you were finding these jeans for $50 instead of like two to 300. Yeah. It sounds like you like sustainability. Was it, um, no, it wasn't the mission. The, okay, mission was, <laughs> the mission was get the trendy so, crap and great. pretend like you could afford yeah. it, you know? <laughs> could you talk about how you went from being interested in fashion to being this non-influencer, influencer, <laughs> author, yeah. sustainability activist? Yeah. So here's the thing. I've always been a curious person. I've always been someone that wants to know like how it's made, what's behind it. And I've never been afraid to write a CEO. I started writing corporations when I was 10. And oh what I found was that like CEOs would often write me back. Wait. And sometimes they'd send me free stuff. Did you do this for like a school project? Um, I have done it for school projects, but like I used to write anytime I got like bad customer service as a kid. <laughs> like, I, was, I, was a, I was a complainer from day one. <laughs> my sister had to write a company like as a school project and she wrote to a beer company in England I think Boddington's wow she asked how my dad used to drink this beer she asked how did they get the floating widget into the can <laughs> it's like it's you open it you open the the can and the it releases the uh -huh. co2 like as you open it anyway oh. they sent my dad a tie and they sent oh fast fashion Ooh. <laughs> nah, I mean, he probably still has that tie because it's was, pretty cool. She was hooked on writing CEO. <laughs> yeah, so I, it wasn't a project for me. I don't know what it was. I just remember I've always liked writing letters and I've always yeah. known how to write like a strongly worded letter. So like as a kid, I started to write like CEOs and corporations. I remember one time my family like went out to Red Lobster and we had like the worst service ever. <laughs> And so I wrote like, their can corporate I get your name? and they, yeah, they like freaked out. They sent us like all these gift cards. And then the next time we went Amazing. to Red Lobster, the manager comped our meal. And so we just like, hey, like was it like your picture on the wall? 
<laughs> it's like, watch out for her. <laughs> She's 10, but she writes a mean letter. That's when I was, I mean, hilarious. I, and I, I would also get like really nice letters back. Like I wrote um, Mickey Drexel when he was the CEO of J. Crew, and he wrote back really nicely. So like I was always curious about like, you know, what's behind the corporation. Yeah. And when fast fashion became a thing, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm into it. I, I like it. I like it. But like, why is it so cheap? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like deep down yeah, inside, my conscience. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't know how to sew clothing. I didn't know how to make clothing. But my conscience told me, I don't know, you should be investigating that. And I was like, I know, but I really want to fit in. So in the back of my head, the whole time my brain's like, why is it so cheap? And I'm like, just shut up and buy the dress you need it so that that person <laughs> will be nice to you. Um, and I eventually could not ignore that anymore. But the first thing I did was like, I got a sewing machine and I was like, I'm going to learn how to sew myself because I did used to go to stores and be like, I wonder if I could make that. And not in like a, why they charge that much money? I can make it, but just curious. Cause like I said, yeah. curiosity. Yeah, yeah. So I started to try and sew and it turns out that it's really hard. <laughs> I nod my head as though I've ever tried it. I have tried. The majority of the stuff I made was utterly unwearable. And I was like, interesting. (laughs) So I'm thinking, okay, if I know that like the fabric for a dress, which I have just ruined, uh, cost 12 pounds or $12. Sorry, I'm in the UK. Cost $12. And that's like bargain bin fabric, right? I picked it up the scrap pile and said, I'll try this. How is it that H&M can sell a dress for $12? I'm very confused. Something in this is missing if they're able to do it for that amount when I know that it's just not possible. And once I started to really understand, I was like, Something about this ain't feeling good. And like, here's the thing. We had already been through it with like Nike, you know, we had already been through it when Kathy Lee Gifford's factory was like using child labor. She got like really dragged. And so I'm like, why are we just all becoming really okay with like the idea that we don't know much about this system, but it feels to me like people aren't getting paid. Like I just have a mm-hmm. hunch yeah. based off of like what I know from yeah. how hard it is to make clothing that it feels like people aren't getting paid. And then I volunteered in a charity shop because I've always, you know, bought my clothing that way as well. And my local charity shop used to be run by a really cool dude who was really nice. And so one summer I volunteered and the amount of clothing that came through our doors used to make me sick to my stomach. Like I would come in for the days when I would volunteer and I would, I would compare it to, um, the Greek mythology about, um, what was the God that stole fire from Zeus? And then as his punishment, he was chained to a rock and every single day, a great Eagle would come and peck his guts out. And then overnight the guts would grow back and thus it would continue again. That was the pile of clothing in that charity shop. Every day I would come in, it would be like piled up to the ceiling. Yeah, and I'm a dude. I'm like, I'm one of those people where when I like set my mind to something, you will have to like, you know, nail the door shut to keep me from doing it. So I'd be like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this pile, you know. And so I would spend all day going through all this clothing, 
you know, grading it because some of it would just not go out on our floor. Right. Even if it was good, we had too much of that or whatever. <laughs> Most of the stuff we sold was in like, like new condition. And, um, I'd spend all day going through bags and bags of clothing and I would come back and it would be like, I hadn't touched anything. And I was just, I, and I began to think about it because I knew that I was speeding up the amount of clothing I was buying. I remember when I was a child and you got clothing like a couple times a year, but like I was shopping pretty regularly and I was, I was somebody who always wore my clothing, but I was seeing people around me adopt really strange attitudes. I remember somebody I knew moved and they literally bagged up eight bags, like bin bags of clothing and donated all to charity, like eight bin bags. Okay. I knew a family that was going on holiday and the mom was like, I can't be bothered to do laundry. I'm just going to go to old Navy and get everyone clothing for holiday. (laughs) That's, I knew people people that would, yeah, I knew people that would buy clothing because like, um, you know, I'm, I'm, don't have time to do laundry. I'm just gonna pick up a pack of underpants from from. That's Target. insane. That's that, insane. But this we'll is this is a very normalized yeah. attitude, and I bet you, people in your life are kind of like this, and they don't own up oh, to it. Of so like, I knew that I was definitely buying a lot of clothing, donating more than I would like to admit, than I'm just comfortable with yeah. admitting. But I knew I was doing it, and I was doing it like twice a year. Meanwhile, I'm living with somebody who is doing this like every other month, you know, and That's I'm crazy. just thinking, right, I'm not in a place to judge, but um, I'm judging and I'm judging myself and what <laughs> is going on. And I'm looking at the charity shop and thinking, okay, obviously it's an affluent area. It's Northern Virginia, but I just don't think we're that unique. Right. I would yeah. be willing to bet that for the thousands of charity shops in the U.S., that this is a problem everywhere. Oh, yeah. And if this is a problem everywhere, where is it all going? It's a huge Somebody volume. is dealing with the burden of the system. Who is it? And then I learned about Ghana and I was like, well, shit, you know? So <laughs> it was like all of these things that yeah. whether it was like shopping secondhand on eBay and being like, well, there's a lot of clothing here or working in a charity shop or learning how to like sew clothing and realizing that it's really hard <laughs> or looking around at my peers all of these things led me to the place I am today. It wasn't an overnight thing. It was generally like, I don't know. I don't feel so good about this system. Like keep your head down and shop, but also I feel really weird. But you were always in interested in fashion, right? Was your first job in fashion? So I had a school program at my university where they were like, you can go abroad and work and we'll give you school credit. And I wasn't a good student. So I was like, yeah. yes, like this is Dumb. how, this is how I'm going to get my GPA up. Yeah. So <laughs> I applied for this travel abroad program and it wasn't that expensive because my parents were like not willing to pay a lot of money for anything. So I was basically like, okay, this is pretty much like a one for one exchange. If I can do like the room and board myself. So I ended up moving to London and mm. I had, gotten a British fashion magazine with an advertisement for this really cute streetwear label called Rude. And I thought they look really cool. I followed them online. This was like very early in the World Wide web. And I was like, look, they have a really cute website. Oh my God. I love just, I love the vibes of this brand. So I found an email and I emailed them. And that was probably 
like I would say Abby is one of my dearest friends today Aww. and she wrote back it was like yeah you can come and like hang out with us for for six months and all that Rupert, letter writing as a yeah. 10 year old really helped out yes. <laughs> and Rupert, her partner who now they are married but at the time they were just business partners um they were not even romantically involved that was the funny thing a whole anyways Rupert, <laughs> yeah, Rupert was like are you mad like just this random American just like writes you and you're just like come on come on over <laughs> and now today they're like my dearest friends I've been friends with Aww. them for coming up on 20 years so yeah and that's how I ended up getting to London basically and working in the fashion industry and my experiences at Rude helped with this message because the thing about like small brands and this is why I champion small business is that the waste and the problems that you're seeing within the fashion industry are not attitudes that small business can adopt. A small business yeah. can't burn. Yeah. Yeah. Can't do the huge volume. They can't burn a third of their excess stock because they didn't sell it. You know, they can't wait. You're literally anything. talking about incinerating, right? Like literally setting oh, yeah. fire no, to. No. Okay, We're great. literally talking about putting okay. it in an incinerator. Just, just wanted to clear that stuff. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> are, are destroying. It's not uncommon for brands to like cut things before putting it in the dumpster, which is really grim. <laughs> like, oh, really, like shred really, it so it's unusable. Yeah, so no yeah. one can it use it. It's yeah. horrible. That's low. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really, it's vile. That's, that is like the disgusting, just capitalism. <laughs> so anyways, I ended up in fashion at a small streetwear label who was doing things right. We were producing clothing and good factories in Portugal, which paid really fair wages. Our price point was high, but our quality was good. We didn't waste a single thing. If we had ordered a bolt of fabric that didn't work out, we found something to do with it. One time we made tote bags, which now every brand is like, look at us. We are so like about the earth. We're gonna give you a tote bag, but like, how many tote bags can one person use? But like, Two. you know, 18 years ago, <laughs> nobody was doing yeah. this, you know? So it was quite cool. Yeah, yeah. And we would print on our tote bags. We had a store where we would print our t-shirt designs. And so you could request what t-shirt you wanted, what color, Oh, what like size. screen printing and stuff. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, we would screen print. So it was made to order, basically. Yeah, yeah. And then we would put your purchase in one of our tote bags. And like, to make it even more like, you know ridiculous we would print on the tote bags because when you screen print your screens sometimes you end up washing a lot of ink down the drain all the ink off and yeah, so yeah, yeah. like in between like runs of t-shirts we would grab some tote bags and like print all the excess ink onto the t-shirt so you would get like hmm. a really weird unique print it was yeah. just but we didn't waste anything because we couldn't afford to yeah. and that was some real insight into the fact that like small business did not create the system. It's all the large multinationals who are doing the most amount of damage here. Small business can't move at the same pace as fast fashion. Right. Slow fashion will never be fast fashion. So when people talk about, you know, wanting sustainability, but wanting it quickly and can we scale it? That is exactly what sustainability should not oh, ever be. No, the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. It's, I literally had a journalist ask me this, like, do you think that these sorts of sustainability processes are, are scalable? And I was like, absolutely not. I'm like, as long as we lead with, <laughs> like is it scalable? 
We will continue to seal our own death warrant with climate crisis. How do we exploit people but mm-hmm. do it in a nice way? Yeah, exactly. We do it with organic cotton. Let's not exploit people on a large scale. Yeah, exactly. So the truth is the entire system has to slow down. And that is the pink elephant in the room that the fashion industry does not want to acknowledge while pretending like everyone's like, we're just doing our best. Really? Are you when you were doing the exact same thing you did the year before and the year before that? Are you doing your best when during the pandemic you did not pay garment workers for things that you ordered because your stores weren't open? Are you really doing your best when you're a billion dollar company where you could just actually pay that money and like not even miss that clothing i would just argue they are not doing their best no matter what their corporate responsibility page says <laughs> the green watching of everything so after you were at rude mm-hmm. did you there must be some in between between you being like I'm oh yeah here. like a 15 the, years in between well, we're some so, of the things give us like a to, yeah. five minute okay. 15 minute yeah five minutes 15 gonna try years and, and five can minutes. i also ask, sum it up really quickly just oh yeah can i ask as part of this at what point in these next 15 years did you i mean it sounds like a lot of your work was focused in sustainability because of the sort of human rights aspects which is obviously great and important and related to climate but also realizing that just fast fashion made me feel gross and it was bad for the planet like you know (laughs) like it's it's not it's not good this is not how we should be buying clothing um okay i'm gonna try and sum it up really quickly so i could not be in the fashion industry because what i realized was that today's fashion industry largely runs on nepotism and privilege and like i don't you're not a nepo baby things no i'm not (laughs) I, it's funny because I did work in TV, which my dad also works oh. in television, oh. but we are not rich. And the point I always make is that true Nepo babies don't even have to work for a living. Uh, like true. for me, I started doing production assistant work when I was in high school um, because in my parents' household, you got a job. Like it yeah. was basically like, mm-hmm. get a yeah. job. If you want money, get a job. You want to see Europe? Great. It'd be good to take a family trip to Europe. Why don't you get a job so you can pitch in for that? Yeah. So that was the household that I grew up in. And, you know, we it was never like we didn't have food to eat or anything, but my parents just didn't have disposable income to spend yeah. on things like nicer clothing or whatever. So I ended up going back to the D.C. area and wanting to be in fashion, going up to New York interning for a magazine, becoming a freelancer there, realizing that, wow, I do not want to be in this world because it's horrible. Like it is all rich kids. It's all like, I was literally working at night to pay my bills in New York and like interning during the day. And then when I became a freelancer- Was it an unpaid internship? Was it one of those fun college situations? Yeah. But then they had to pay me because they needed me. But the payment was so low yeah. and everyone acted like I should be, should be grateful. Yeah, yeah. I should be grateful. And it took them six months to pay me. So oh I was Jeez. literally living in Brooklyn, working nights, also working the day and just thinking, how on earth does anyone do this? Like, this is nightmarish. Like, I can't eat any more peanut butter and jelly. And then asking someone that I was friendly with, like, 
um, how do you guys do like five and six internships? And finally, somebody was like, my parents pay my rent. I was like, there it what? Is. And then I asked someone else and they were like, yeah, my parents pay my rent too. And then I realized I was in hell. Yeah. I was like, what am I doing this here? This is the I don't bad know. place. This is the bad place. I began to understand that, like, the fashion industry just operates on all sorts of unpaid labor. More more human exploitation. Yeah, with very little payoff as well. Like, there are certain internships where you get connections, where you get um, job possibilities, where you... An internship should be mutually beneficial, but a lot of what happens in the fashion industry is just exploited labor. So I was like... Oh no, no, no. I actually was like off of fashion after that experience. I went back to the DC area. I started to do more production assistant work, which let me tell you, I could write another book about how hellish oh, all of that is. You just found when another the Harvey Weinstein. <laughs> when the Harvey oh, Weinstein stuff came out, I was like, ta da! So, <laughs> told ya. Speaking yes. of, I heard she said was a great movie. In case I anyone... saw it last night. It was pretty good. It was pretty All right. good. Um, All right. I, I struggled with bits of it because I do feel like movies like that really focus on the journalist. And I also oh, feel yeah. like hmm. the women who are actually making it happen put themselves at risk sometimes to very little payoff to move society in the right direction. Yeah. And we sort of romanticize the lives of the journalists, but I think it's kind of fucked up that like, I, I felt like it focused too much on the journalist and not enough on like the fact that like these women are essentially out here risking their lives to make society better. Yeah. And often like the payoff is you get male human feces, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what I struggle well, with. Well, that was so, a and, fun digression. I apologize I for that. No, no, don't worry about it. <laughs> So I ended up going back to fashion, or no, sorry. I ended up going back to the DC area and doing more PA, which is another thing. Like I've been talking a lot about like nepotism babies because (laughs) I find the topic really fascinating. It's kind of funny to say also, nepo baby. It's funny to say, but also like, it's just annoying because I feel like the people that are always like, nepotism babies are one people that don't actually have to work for a living but they choose to work in the most desirable fields on the planet and then they want all of us to pat them on the head and tell them that they didn't get it because of who their parents are they're just special <laughs> and that's what makes nepo babies so annoying like just take the win you won the right, genetic not, lottery the lack of self you know? the lack of self-awareness right if yeah. i were yeah. a nepo baby i wouldn't work for a living i'd have all sorts of fun projects i wouldn't even want to be famous you know like yeah I, that's that's the thing and i I was literally having this conversation on my platform because I do talk openly about like, yes, there is a certain amount of privilege to having a parent who works in an industry like TV who can be like, look, I don't have any pocket money to give you, but maybe you can come do a few days in the studio. I acknowledge that that's a privilege, but if I were as privileged as a true Nepo baby, I wouldn't have had to work. Um, (laughs) And so I came back to TV. I ended up being in the TV field for... 15 years having some really traumatic and terrible experiences, which one day I will write about. Um, And even a run-in with good old Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. When everybody within his, like, when all of that 
broke and they were all like I never knew I've worked with him for 15 years I was like you dirty liar like honestly I was in the man's presence only once or twice and you can tell someone who abuses their power from a mile away you know you know yeah you know like I I hadn't heard the rumors per se but I could tell by the way he treated people that he wasn't a nice person and like you wouldn't want to get on the wrong side of him. So I find it bizarre that like so gross. people will literally, you know, who've worked with him for many years will be like, I have no idea. Like, no, you absolutely yes, know about yeah. it. There's no way you have no idea. Yeah, exactly. So I worked in the TV industry. It was horrible. Um, and then I met my partner and um, I thought there's no way this is going to work out. He lives in London and I love London and would <laughs> like to move back. So naturally this is going to end in flames. Um, and then it didn't and we got married and I was like, well, I'll be, and I moved back to London and when you first get to, when you first get to, yeah, when you first get to a foreign country, you have to get like all your work visa stuff, which is once again, a terrible experience. You pay a lot of money. Really stressful. Yeah. You know. Not fun. Denmark. So did all of that. Probably the most organized country on earth, but. (laughs) That's awesome. That is not the UK at all. Like (laughs) it's like live chickens running around in every office. So Mm -hmm. um, came back here and (laughs) finally got my work visa. Like we actually had to do it twice because the first one we did it wrong. And then they keep all your money. Fun fact. Oh, of course they do. How nice. Very broke. Yeah. We were very broke. And. My partner said to me, he's like, look, I know you said you never want to be in the TV industry again and you've been fighting to get out of it for 15 years. But if you do go back to TV, you know, we can have a really nice life together with our like two incomes. Well, you know, he's like, I know you really want to go for the writing thing, but like, we're going to be really broke. But he was like, but if that's what you want to do. I'll support you. And I was like, <laughs> great. You know, so thanks. I, I have been you. writing about all of these issues for little to no money on the internet for probably about five years when I moved back here. And it was sort of like writing about like social justice, so racism and feminism, writing about fashion, but also realizing that like, no, no, this fast fashion stuff is a problem. And then I began to be like, why am I writing about these issues in a silo? I should be writing about these issues together. So I started to do that on Instagram. My platform started to grow really rapidly. And I knew that the majority of the ways that people were monetizing Instagram was through selling fast fashion. And I thought... Mm -hmm. That is something I can't do. Like I have already participated in this problem and I no longer do. I would not be able to sleep at night if I was profiting from the problem. Did you get offers too? Yeah, I still do, which is really funny. Um, So as my platform started to grow, (laughs) Steve was like, so uh, how are you going to make some money? Because we're broke. (laughs) And I was like... (laughs) I was like, I can't, I can't, I don't know what to do. And he's like, well, you're just writing a bunch of stuff for free. So I had a talk with like my Instagram community and I was like, hey guys, like I know I write here every single day and I would like to continue to do that. But 
I got to get paid in a lot of this ad work. One, you don't want me to do it because you all hate those ads. And two, I can't do it because it feels bad in my heart. And I can't criticize the fashion industry in the ways in which I do. But then turn around to the big polluters and be like, work with me. So I basically said... Money, please. Yeah, exactly. So I basically said to my readership, I'm going to start a Patreon Mm because a few of you have suggested it. If X amount of you support me over here, I'll continue to write in this space for free as well. I'll just do it both. And people were like, actually, I love it because, you know, your, your voice is untainted by like certain... dollar bills being waved in your face and so the first month I made a hundred dollars and I thought oh my god wow like after not (laughs) making money for eight months it was amazing and then I could buy a hundred pieces of fast fashion no I'm just kidding well no I was just like I can buy because my computer was on its last leg so I was like I can buy a tenth of a computer and then the second (laughs) month I made two hundred dollars and I was like whoa and Steve was like you know, if this keeps going, this like that's could, a good chart. This could be <laughs> this could be a part-time job. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I was like, I know, like maybe this will buy me a little time. What if I did this and like also worked in a coffee shop? Like if I could just do like you know yeah. this and then yeah. And, yeah. and Steve was like, yeah, no, I could totally see that. And then it continued to grow. And during lockdown. I was like freaking out because I was thinking, oh no, like people are not going to keep these subscriptions up because nobody knows what's going on. You know, it's really scary and like there's a lot of insecurity and instead people were gagging for newsletters and stuff. And so because I had already gotten in before 2020, my platform basically like quadrupled both on Instagram and Patreon. And so- it became my full-time job That's basically awesome. and i always tell people what you study in school you're going to take that into your occupation right but like the job that you could have in the future probably isn't even invented yet because yeah. the world is changing so quickly yeah right That's so, so true. like i've never even thought about it that way and stuff. Yeah. it should be true. they're both through jobs this... that we specifically have been invented school. forever if but it's someone fun. had said to me like you're gonna have a platform but instead of like monetizing through corporations because you hate corporations you are instead going to have a platform where people sign up to like read your thoughts every day yeah. you do like a daily you do like yeah. a daily newsletter that's small and then a monthly newsletter that's big and you do some small business consulting. You do all these different things through this one platform and that's great. And like if someone had told me that, I'd be like, what? Like, and I'm yeah. also now a fashion editor at LUK yeah, Magazine, cool. which if someone had also said, you're going to be the person who critiques the industry, but one day a mainstream magazine will actually like that and Want ask that. you to do yeah. more of that. I would have been like, get out. Because after my experience within the magazine industry, I was just like, that's never going to happen. And so basically that's my career trajectory. I worked in a field that I disliked for years, but I never forgot about fashion. Yeah. And I just think it's really cool that you like, I don't know. It's like you found your, you did this thing for free anyway just by sheer, because you found a thing you loved. And you sort of get at this in your book a little bit when you talk about people who are like buying things. You're like, find that thing that you like to replace your shopping addiction, right? But like you turn that into a career for yourself, which is insane. 
and great and amazing. Thank you. I mean, even like I tell people like, look, if you want to like not shop, if you're trying to quit fast fashion, maybe like when you feel that urge, jump on Pinterest instead, because even the action of like (laughs) pinning things that you might want, but not buying them can be really satisfying. And when you actually do need something and you know that you need something, instead of being like really impulsive, you can actually just like go to Pinterest and be like, hey, you know what? These are visually pleasing. Thing, <laughs> and this and and this is a thing. And I've taken my time. I've thought about it. I'm going to do a little research on this company and find out that they're paying everyone. And then I'm going to make a purchase instead of just having an impulse purchase where it's like, I've had a really crap day. Let me go buy something I don't need, you know? I mean, I think what, so I was, when I first read your book, I was like, when's she going to tell me who I can buy from? When, when, <laughs> when is she going to let me know where? And there's like a paragraph that I feel like was like a lot of people, like it felt like you like called me out directly where it's like a lot of people Stephanie. just want to know where you can buy from. But like the first question, it was so important though, because now I do ask this question all the time. It's like the first question you should ask yourself is, do I need this? And I was like, shit, she's so right. It's like, cause yeah, I was like, but I where that- can I shop and not feel shitty? I had to have these conversations for myself, but the truth is when I look back at who I was and how I was buying, that was not making me happy. Right. You know, like, yeah, the dopamine makes you happy for like five minutes and then you get home and you have all this plastic clothing and you're like, what the fuck am I doing with my life? Or even worse, you're like living with your parents because your work (laughs) is like stagnated and you hate the field that you're in. And you live in your parents' basement, and your mom this is, is just a like, hypothetical people. Is... Yeah, just yeah. type not not based not, on me at all. So then, <laughs> so then, like you're living with your parents and your mom who hates fast fashion because she knew it was a scam all along. <laughs> it's like stop spending all your money on crap clothing you're like i won't so then you just leave it in like the trunk of your car wait for it to go to sleep creep out in the middle of the night get the bags out that's when you know it's bad and say what the fuck am i doing with my life that's well Asha, i was telling my dad i was talking to today and i was like trying to explain fast fashion and slow fashion and my dad i've like never thought about this before but my dad's like i've owned the same pair of jeans for 20 years exactly i guess you are the king of slow exactly and you know what most most dads are like i would say my dad for sure but we also have to realize that the world targets different people in different ways right like you know a marginalized you know, woman in a field where she is outnumbered and outgunned constantly might feel like she needs new dresses constantly right. so oh, that sure. no one criticizes her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I like get it. I definitely felt like I bought fast fashion for social acceptance. I bought fast fashion um, because I felt better about myself when I was wearing new clothing. I bought fast fashion because a kid asked me if I was poor once because I wore the same clothing in a week, you know? <sighs> there were so many reasons why I was buying, and I had to really just unpick that for myself. And yeah, once I yeah. did, I was like, well, shit, you know, I've been conned, <laughs> you know? And that's the thing. Oh, yeah. I think once you start to really see it, you become like pretty evangelical about it and you just want to like tell everyone you're like that company's really horrible they just make you feel like you have to buy things by sending you things to your phone but you don't need it <laughs> well Ashley, to go back to that like first part of this conversation we're talking about fitting i like right catholic school my whole life god always present 
Um, but <laughs> we had uniforms, but the like two things that you could change, right? Like this coat, the stupid, I still like this black North Face fleece that everyone had. And these goddamn, un- like, I remember that from like being a 14, cause that was, that was the, that was how you fit in, right? That's, That's how, how you, you dress yourself. I was on scholarship. <laughs> exactly. I have the blue boots. I actually got detentions a bunch for wearing bows in my hair that were different colors and my headband was too thick. So, uh, that's the kind of Catholic school I went to. I think we have to also ask ourselves, though, is it self-expression if we all look the same? Because that's essentially what well, those products yeah. do. It just <laughs> makes us all look the same. It's like, oh, wow, everyone's in North Face jackets and Uggs. Exactly. cool. You know, I remember reading a quote where somebody was like, people in Europe like to dress better and different than the person next to oh. them. And Americans want to wear the same thing better than the person next to them. And I'm like, I think that's a really interesting analogy. I've heard, I don't know if it's Denmark or Germany or both or whatever, but people wear the same outfit two days in a row, like as a rule. They just, Um, it's not dirty enough. I started becoming that person. I I didn't used to be that person, but but now I am that person and I love it. But I had to unpick the trauma behind never wanting to wear the same thing two days in a row because I got asked if I was poor and that did not feel good because I was lower middle class in a school where many of the girls my age lived in single family McMansions and we didn't, you know, and like I wore my sister's hand-me-downs and they were not cool. And, you know, we were on one income and, Like I said, we never went hungry, but it wasn't, I was surrounded by snobs and they made me feel bad about myself. But it is interesting how fashion, how fashion plays a role in that specific, I mean, as someone who's always been like, what do we call mid, like 12 to size 16, grew up in the early 2000s, I was like terrified to step into like an Abercrombie and Fitch because I was like, Mm. this place is not a safe space for me. Oh, I always hated it. Did you watch the documentary on that store? I felt like I would be too triggered. I don't know. I I I always hated it. I just put another log on my fire. We've got a little wood burning stove. So, Um, yeah, did you, when I watched the Abercrombie and Fitch documentary, I felt so vindicated about everything I thought about that brand because I always hated it. I like I mean, me too, but I am like honestly still triggered by really like good. puka shell necklaces. And the smell. <laughs> the axe. I sound like my mom. I, I remember wanting, like <laughs> wanting to be in that store, wanting to have the clothes. And then I remember having a moment where I was just like, why do I want this clothing? Oh, it's because people that are not nice to me, I feel like maybe I can fit in. And you know what? I don't even like this brand. I don't like what they're selling. It's all like white people and like sex. <laughs> like it's just, I don't like this brand. I don't like, this isn't yeah. my style. I don't know what's being abs. sold here, but like, and <laughs> yeah, I bought a shirt and then I ended up returning it and was like, no, thank you. And then I felt abs. really proud of myself. And I began to realize like, you don't have to be that person. You don't have to you like have agency in this. Yeah, I mean, and sometimes things would still get me. Like I said, the designer denim, I was definitely, there were certain jeans where I was just like, never. Like, I still think seven jeans (laughs) made everyone look like a box on sticks. Everyone used to say they were like the most flattering jeans. I was like, what are you talking about? It just makes like your mid region look really boxy and then your legs look really long. And I'm just like, I don't really know if I think that's attractive, but like all the magazines are like, 
the most flattering jeans ever. And I'm like, no, it's a box on sticks. So like realizing that certain things were just not going to be for me. And then like graduating from school, do you remember wet look leggings? Oh my God, no, but they sound awful. They They're make my awful. legs wet. Yeah, wet like, look leggings. I just remember being like, I'm going to look a steal in those. I'm not wearing them. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. And I felt really pleased with myself. And I was just like, I can be this person that says no to certain <laughs> These things. These are awful. Those are they awful? trash. Do you remember we'll when everyone was doing like the cold shoulder top? Like the top. Oh my like, God, this stupid like, thing. Yes. No, no. Like saying no to things that you know aren't for you is so powerful and more people need to exercise that with buying clothing and being oh like God, so you know true. you don't like this stuff like you just tell yourself why you're feeling like you need to buy it unpick these, why you're feeling that feeling these wet look leggings are back according to my phone <gasps> yes uh -oh. oh god well guess who's not doing it a second time me <laughs> doubly powerful this time didn't do it the first time ain't gonna do gross. it the second time oh, yeah boy. they are horrible like, they're absolutely horrible so aja yeah if you weren't doing this job and when i say this job i mean all the jobs that you just listed because it was many and maybe not working in tv what would you be doing what would you be doing <laughs> i want to write books i want yeah. to write books so i was talking about this with my patrons because the truth of the matter is I don't want to be on social media forever because social media is hell. Like use it as a tool to get you the things that you want. So for me, I have always wanted to be a writer. That's it. Mm -hmm. I saw certain things as tools to help me get to where I want it to be. Right. Like it's not easy for a black person to be like, I'm going to write a book and the literary agent, the literary world's just going to open the doors and let me in. That hello, just agent. how it works, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Hello, agent. I'm going to write the like next great novel. Now. Yeah. So now. I, I actually told my parents in college that like I wanted to study literature and English and they were just like, absolutely not. Like I think not most people, yeah. yeah, most people that yeah. have like ethnic parents will be told that like, are you insane? Like, I am not paying money for yeah. you to go right. to school to study drama. You at least need to double major. What's your my, backup plan? Yeah. My parents were basically like, if it is not a occupation where you will immediately get a job after school, then we yeah. are not interested. So originally, I've always wanted to be a writer. And I was telling my patrons that, like, this is not something I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to make the industry better and the long-term goal is that i'm not talking about this stuff in five years exactly if i'm still talking about fast fashion in five years we have shot ourselves in the metaphoric foot yeah. like that's yeah. it in five years time i we are either planet on fire we're not surviving or we've changed the system and if we change the system i'm out of a job and i'm okay with that yeah. um <laughs> I want to write fiction books. That's what I want to do. I don't want to. That's wanna, great. I've always wanted to write books, and I'm really happy that the platform that I've built has allowed me to do that. Um, and I want to just continue to do that. I I want I want that Zadie Smith, Sally Rooney life. Are they on social media? No. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to. She's got a great HBO, but they got option for TV shows. So exactly. here we are, back into I'm production. Just, Full circle. I just, 
Oh, no, I want to I wanna be away from that as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I just, I want to write books that move people and change their minds about things. And that's another thing, like, unless you are a Zadie Smith or a Sally Rooney, you really have to make those numbers in order for it to be something that you yeah. can live off of. Um, yeah. My book has not made me rich. Now, Consumed has definitely been a commercial success because books of that nature typically do not do well sales wise. Uh, that was what I was told when we were shopping in around. I got a lot of lowball offers because a lot of um, a lot of publishing houses were like, oh yeah, books like this don't do well. And so Consumed has <laughs> actually beat the odds, which is great. And it is considered a commercial success. Now, is it on any bestseller list? No, it is not. I would love that for me one day. Um, You'll but... get our boost, Aja. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. listen to our podcast. Non nonfiction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nonfiction generally just doesn't do yeah. it. It just, there's some nonfiction books that absolutely do, but um, books about fashion generally don't sell that well. And, but hmm. it's still done well. So I would like to eventually one day be able to set, step back, say, you know, I've done what I can in this conversation and move on to writing fiction and yeah. doing that because that's what I really, I really it. want to do for the Let rest of my Aja life. Write and fiction. I've always wanted to do that. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I would also, just to plug your book, it's really accessible. <laughs> like you, it's like aimed at, a, a, like you don't have to be, I don't know. You don't have to like know. You the don't have to be a fashion person. Yeah. To like, and I, you don't have to. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I just think to be... anyone can read it. Anyone. Anyone. And it's like understandable. Thank you. I wanted it to be accessible because a lot of the reading and research that I do, particularly to do my own job, is um, sometimes really dense. Yeah. And I find sometimes in the position that I do, like in the position that I hold with my Patreon, a lot of it is just like sifting through a lot of information and being like, here's what you need to know. So that you don't have to read 20 different links because I have. Yeah. And here's the information yeah. that is the most important and relevant to you as a citizen. That's why newsletter's so, great. Yeah. I will say your voice is, your book's voice is in the back of my head every time I take That my... used to be me. That used to be me. I would never <laughs> sit from like a perch of judgment because I know what that feels Which like. Which I also you know? think yeah, is yeah. great because you talk about That's that in the, the book best. too. You're like, I am this person. Right. I went on this journey. We can all do it. I absolutely did. Right. And another thing that was like really crucial for me, and I, I don't think everybody does this, but like moving overseas and having to really reevaluate all your possessions. Like I was just like, I never want to own this amount of stuff again. Like I remember because when I met Steve and when we, you know, were like engaged, I was already yeah. like on this journey where I was just like, okay, I don't think I want to buy fast fashion anymore. But I also was kind of starting to understand that like the fashion waste problem was actually a real problem. And like, just to bring it real full circle, this problem is a race problem because at the start of like the production of the garment, it's poor black and brown people in the global South who are bearing the yep. burden of having their resources stripped their labor undervalued. And then at the end of the waste stream, it is once again, right. poor black and brown people mitigating that as well. So I was beginning to really understand this and knowing everything that I did about like, you know, the donation system, I knew that I couldn't just 
donate anything that I didn't want. I just couldn't do it. It didn't sit well in my soul. So like I took over a year of like reselling, rehoming, and I'm still not there. When I go home to my parents' house, I still have to like be like, I'm going to deal with this drawer of stuff today. You know, like every trip home is a trip of sorting through my stuff. And like, I think that was also (laughs) a crucial moment and being like, it's all just stuff. And like, when we leave this world, what do we want to leave behind? Do we want to leave behind a pile of plastic clothing or do we want to like live a life not burdened by stuff that we probably didn't need to buy in the beginning? Well, Asha, (laughs) I think that's a great place to wrap up because that is some food for thought. And I think you're right. I mean, you're right. You're just all, you're just right. So I know you want to break free of social media, but people can follow you on Instagram, (laughs) on Twitter and they can support you on Patreon, right? Yeah. Do I so, get everything? Yes, absolutely. So Instagram is my name slash Instagram.com slash Aja Barber. On Twitter, I am definitely really spicy because Twitter is a hellscape. So like if you mm-hmm. follow me on Twitter, understand that like everyone on Twitter has their heckles up. I'm not that mean. I'm much nicer on Instagram. Oh, yeah. So if you want like, you know, Pleasant Audra, go to Instagram. If you want, like, <laughs> grumbly Audra, go to Twitter. And if you love this topic and want more information, yeah. please find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Barber. And if you thought all of this was really interesting and really want the nitty-gritty, please buy my book. That would be great. Like, consumed. If, if Consumed ever, like, made a bestseller list, I would be like, what, what? It'd be amazing. And it would also yeah. mean that, like, the culture and tide is changing on this conversation, which I do think it is. It's just happening at a glacial pace where we actually need it to happen a lot quicker. We totally agree. And we're so grateful for your time and all the work yes. that you've been doing. And I think we've both learned so much from you, which has been great. Thank you for having me and being so sweet. And like, just, I've really, really enjoyed the conversation.